Welcome to Redemption Parker. Uh, it's my privilege to worship God with you this morning. If you're new here, or you're visiting, or you've been here a hundred times, welcome. Man, it is a joy to uh, end out the year on Christmas Eve. We won't be meeting next, on Sunday, uh, but in, in what's been, uh, by most, most of our standards of our lifetime, a difficult year on a lot of different, different levels. I'm just grateful that we get to come here on Christmas Eve and kind of end on a high note because we do have reason to hope. We do have reason for joy. We have reason to, to look forward to all the days that are to, to come uh, in the next year and, and forward. But before we do that, I think it's just, I think we would do well as we close out the year and, and look to Christmas Eve. I think we would do well just to acknowledge uh, some of the things that you felt this year or are feeling. Um, so let, let me just go ahead and throw that out to you. Like, let's use one word adjectives. We'll keep it fa- family friendly. Uh, but uh, how are you feeling at the end of 2020? Let's just, just shout it out. Let me hear it. Anxious. Anxious, okay. Tired. We got tired. We got anxious. It's perfect. It's lining up with my sermon. Go ahead. Keep going. What's that? Hopeful, Hopeful. yeah. The, good. Hopeful, anxious, tired, some other positives, maybe some other uh, adjectives that, that describe your current mindset. Blessed. Blessed. Amen. Love it. Anyone else? How's this section feeling over here? I know we got Trisha. 100. Good. Any, any other adjectives? You like, when, when you talk about 2020, you, this word comes up a few times in your conversations. Unprecedented. Unprecedented. Word of the year. That's right. Yeah. Pandemic. Um, long, yeah. Which would lean into tired and... Um, I've heard other ones. I've heard lonely. I've heard stress, uh, anxious. I've heard uh, poor, like those that, that have lost their jobs. Uh, I've heard uh, afraid, afraid of, uh, of different things. Uh, a few, few weeks ago, I was talking with, uh, I think, some pastors, and, and we were just kind of talking about that. And uh, just uh, the word that came to mind, and I actually said, I said, weary. I just, I just kind of feel weary. I, I feel like def- decision fatigue. I feel like we're always pivoting, uh, changing. Like everything up to this point, I, I usually saw a pretty clean connection between the decisions I make and the outcome. And this year, that's been just blown up. And, and so uh, there's things that I just kind of took for granted. Like, hey, we're going to meet together as a church in person. And, and at times this year, that's been in question. Or, hey, we're going to meet at this place. And, and midweek, that changed. And then uh, just this whole year, like I planned vacations I didn't go on, like some of you. Uh, I had other business plans that never uh, went through. Uh, I've, uh, this year has been hard because usually the people in my life, close to my life, like uh, usually there's pretty much harmony, but 2020, so many different positions and ways to be in disharmony, whether with friends or coworkers or family members and, and just coming with. So all of that just begins to like drain you and make you feel weary. And, I, and so I told the person, I was like, I, I feel weary. And so a few minutes after that conversation, I went and, uh, and I heard a song, a song that we're going to sing later, a song that we sing every year. And by the way, a lot of these Christmas songs, if we just stop and pause and my prayer is that for a moment we would, the words might just land on us differently this year. Like there's some rich, deep, deep theology in, in these songs. Well, this song, I, I was, in the first verse, I was just struck by it. I'm going to bring it up on the screen. You'll, you'll recognize the song. But the first line, you know, it goes, Oh, holy night, 
The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Now, again, that, that didn't really strike me, but maybe it should. Like, we, we could camp out on that right away, that, that, that a Savior has come and he's put on flesh. That, that, that's enough to, that, that should be enough for us, right? Like, there's this weird thing in churches with Christmas and Easter that you feel like this pressure to, like, go big or something like that. But listen, folks, if I can't get you excited that God came in and took on flesh, then me rolling around on a roller skates or a motorcycle in here, what is that? Like, that's, that's just dumb. Like, if you can't get excited that God saw your helpless state and didn't leave you in that state, but he said, I'm coming in and I'm going to put on flesh, if that doesn't excite you, you're dead. Like, you're, you're, you're just not alive to the things that God is doing. If you just sit there and you don't sing and you don't, you, there, there's no, nothing rising. Like, you should be pleading. You should be on your face pleading to God, please let me be excited about the thing that I should be most excited about right now. Amen? So I'm not going to get fancy. And those, that part wasn't in my notes, but... Uh, I was reading, doing this, and then the next line, the next line came up. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. And I was just like, yes. And there, there was a brokenness and a darkness to this world. One of the blessings, someone said blessed, one of the blessings of 2020 is just a recognition of reality. We, we live in a broken, dark, sin-filled, sickness-filled, death-filled world. And, and the, the world has been long laying in this state and it says an error pining. And, and, and I knew pining from context, but I had to look it up, this old English word, this, this kind of desperation of the heart, heart sickness of, of something good slipping through your grasp, just, just longing for something good, but not getting it. So this is the state of the world. The next line was, uh, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And I love that. Do, do, some, some of you wonder sometimes, man, it, is my, does my life matter? Am I worth anything? And, and all we need to do is look at Christmas Eve and look at, look at the incarnation, and, and God is saying, absolutely, yes. I created you. I've created you in my image. You're worth it. In fact, you're so worth it. I'm going to leave everything. I'm going to give up everything. It's going to cost me everything to come for you, for me, and for the world. Your soul should feel its worth in that moment. And now you begin to feel uh, the hope that, that might be rising. And the, the next line there is a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Man, this, is a, this year has been a weary year for me. But, but honestly, if we, if we just study a little bit of history, like it's not that bad. The S&P 500 is up 33% this year. That's actually a great year financially, by the way, if you were in the market. Uh, pandemics are kind of normal in the history. And, and death is normal. And so, but for us, it feels like weird. But when we look back, when we look back to the first Christmas, man, it, it makes 2020 seem like utopia. You want to talk about political oppression, Roman government is oppressing the people. 
We want to talk about religious strife. Uh, there is a, a difference between Gentiles and Jews and, and racial strife and uh, political. There, there's refugees. There's all sorts of stuff going on. That there's, there's people thousands of miles away named Caesar making, issuing a decree. And then this, uh, this little family, uh, not even a, really a family yet, this pregnant teenage girl has to scramble and be sent to just happens to be the place where God, through his prophets, prophesied the Messiah would be born. Oh, but it was a weary world. It was a dark world. It was, and yet, joy came into the world. Hope came into the world. And even though in that night, in that moment, the next day, things didn't really look that different, everything had changed for them. Everything had changed. And if we can wrap our lives around that change, then it doesn't matter if 2021 is worse than 2020 or not. Because there is something that goes beyond this world, goes beyond that. So uh, then the final... I think I don't, I don't have a final line. I didn't put it up there. Well, the final line was, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. But, so I was thinking about that and just realizing that Christmas is de- God's declaration that he keeps his promises. And, and the preeminent promise in the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to the end of Revelation, the preeminent promise of God to you and to me is what? That he will be with us. In Isaiah's prophecy, he uses one word for it. He calls it Emmanuel. We have to translate to three words, God with us. And I want that just land on my soul and our soul as a church today, that God is with us. So again, I said I wasn't going to get fancy. So my outline today is quite simple. Three parts, God with us. You're going to remember this. You can take it tomorrow, whether they talk about a God with us. And I want to look specifically at how uh, the the Gospel of John unpacks it. In John chapter 1, if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to look at how God was with us. Now, each one of the Gospels tell the story of Christmas, but they they put a different emphasis. They're looking at different things. And, And John is looking at this cosmic reality that Emmanuel has come, that God is with us. And so, John chapter 1, I'll just begin to uh, walk us through it, God with us. Listen carefully, this is God's Word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John starts with God. In the beginning, God. And he tells us a few things about God, that, that one, there is a God, that, that, that we aren't a, a random accident of the cosmos somehow uh, coming from nothing, uh, out of nothing, but, but that God spoke out of nothing and the universe came into existence. So we, we see that this, this place, our lives, every molecule of, of the universe, every day of your lives is, is orchestrated, ordained, and created by God. So God, but, but he also tells us, shows us something else. This is in the beginning was the word. Now we know what John is doing here from later in the context. That word he's talking about is Jesus. He says the word, Jesus, was with God and, and, and Jesus was God. He points to this divine uh, relationship paradox of the Holy Spirit, that God is three in one, Ho- Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's a relational God. He's a God that existed from eternity past in complete love and perfection and unity and, and, and power and all those things. There was a relationship, but, be, but God wanted to share that. And so he did a creation. This is 
God. He made the world. All things were made through him. He goes on, he says, and and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Begins to talk about the world that we're in. A world of sin and sickness and suffering and death, of, of darkness. But, but John points this out because God is still on the throne. There is light and, and really in the darkest days that light shines brightest. So we've got God. But that moves us to the next one. God with. Jump down to verse 9. The true light, <coughs> which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and, was made, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So God with. Now now we learn something else about this God. He is not a God who stands far off. He's not a God that, that, that we hope to one day get on a rocket ship and go to. He, he is with. He is with his creation. And it says he made the world, even though the world didn't make him, the co-creator of the universe, he is with. So, so I love this. He doesn't stand off at the side and look at us in our helpless estate and say, man, if you could just clean yourself up, if you could just raise the bar in your moral life, if you could just uh, pray more and, and give more and go to church, then you could come into my house. That's not how God is with us. He is with. He is with his creation. He comes into it. I love how Paul put it in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, when the fullness of time had come. I love that phrase. When the fullness of time had come, or at just the right time, or when all of the prophecies and all of the orchestration of God for the salvation of you and me had reached its pinnacle, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. When the fullness of time came, God became with, with his creation. That there is, this is a divine paradox. G.K. Chesterton calls it the great paradox. Here's what G.K. Chesterton said. He said the great paradox is that the hands that made the sun and the stars were too small to reach the huge heads of the cattle. He took on flesh. He came and he was with. And, 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 when, and when he was with, not, not like, not like you, he could have. He didn't just show up as a 33-year-old man and say, hey, I got to go to the cross right now because that's what I'm here for. That, ultimately, that is his mission and purpose, and we'll get to that. But, but he was with. He, he experienced everything you experienced. He fully embraced humanity and all of its limitations. He grew in wisdom and stature. He got... He got hungry. He got tired. He grew, but he, he was with his creation. He didn't stand far off. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He came to us. I love how Paul puts this in, in Philippians. In Philippians, actually, I'm just going to turn there because, man, it's 2020, and this would, be, would have been just a great word for all of us to hold on to. Paul is actually going to point to Christmas as a, re, as a way for us to treat one another. Listen to what he says. He says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others, sorry, count others as more significant 
than yourselves. Man, our world, our churches would be so much better if that was just our default posture. In humility, we're going to consider others better than ourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interests, but also of the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He came to be with who? With us. He, he didn't just come to be with the, the religious elite or, or, or the wealthy or the beautiful people. He, he came for the, the brokenhearted, the downcast, the, the outcast. He came for people like me and people like you. I, I love that about Jesus. So he, it, John goes on in this God with us in, in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was with us, not, not just them or over there, but with us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, overwhelming grace, heaping up grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, the one who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Don't, don't you just love that? When, when he came down and he took on flesh and he grew up, he didn't come to scold us. He didn't come to smite us. Paul, uh, John points out, hey, the law came through Moses and the law was good insofar that it shows the will of God. It shows what, a, what, what God's will is and, and his heart for how we are to live. But the, wall, the law was never meant to make dead people alive. The law never promised that if you do these things, you will be alive and welcomed back into the family of God. And that's good news because none of us have kept the law. We, we bat zero on the Ten Commandments in thought, word, and deed. We don't keep the law. So isn't it good news this morning that when God came down and he put on flesh, he didn't come like Moses with two more tablets and say, hey, I got ten more for you. You guys were so bad at the first ten, I got ten more. I kind of dumped them down for you. I, I lowered the bar so that maybe if you do these ten, you'll get a 50 on the test. No, that's not how he came. John says the law came through Moses, grace and truth, or grace upon grace upon grace came through Jesus. This is when you say amen. <laughs> and Christmas is God establishing a beachhead in enemy territory to make it his territory again. Once he establishes that beachhead, the, the, the victory was inevitable at that point, but he, he would go on. This God with us, and, and he would be with disciples, and he would be with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and drunkards and gluttons, and, and because he was with those kind of people, people like you and me, because he was with them, the re religious and the civil authorities saw him as a threat and saw him as someone to be eliminated. And so they moved toward that end. But before we get there, let, again, let's just consider the implications here. When we, later on in the service, as we sing and we hear the story of, of, of Christmas in the Gospel of Luke, there's different characters in there. And they have different responses to the revelation that God has come down. 
On the one hand, you have people like Caesar over in Rome. He's ruling his kingdom. He thinks he's in control. You have Herod, who's close by, and he's ruling his tiny kingdom, and, and he sees Jesus as a threat. You have the vast majority of people, the people in the town who were too busy to make room for Jesus. And they have a, they have a characteristic about them. They're self-centered, self-focused. It's our natural bent. It's why the vast majority go this way. They're all living their lives thinking, what can I do to make me most happy? And guess what? They're the most miserable people in the story. Because you weren't meant to look to yourself to find happiness. You were meant to look to the one who created you to find happiness. Now, there's other characters in the story. There's shepherds, who's like the night crew at Burger King in this society. Like, they're, they're, they're lowly. And God comes to them, and they worship. They're exploding with joy. There's angels who are just taking this all in, and they worship. They explode with joy. There's wise men that come to seek and savor the Christ child, and they worship, and they explode with joy. There's Mary and Joseph. They look at Jesus, and they worship, and in that moment, everything's changed for them, and yet nothing's changed. They're, they're, they're still in a world of brokenness. They're still in a world of struggle and poverty and, and governments doing stupid things and all these things. They're still living in that world, but they've totally changed. Why? Because looking beyond themselves, looking to God and seeing in God that their greatest problem has been taken care of, they can't help but rejoice. They don't know where the next meal is coming from. They don't know how the business is going to go. They don't know about their health or sickness, but, but they know one thing. They've got eternity locked down because the Savior has come. May we be more like them. No matter what happens in the days to come, may we be more like them with our eyes off of ourselves and our eyes on the Christ child who will then grow up and do what you and I could never do. Live a life of perfect obedience to the Father and thought, word, and deed and his righteousness being poured onto him. And then he'll go and pay a price that you and I could never pay. See, Christmas is connected to Easter. And we would, we would do well to make that connection, that this Christ child came not just to live a beautiful life, but to die a horrible death in our place. And this is why we come to this table, even at Christmas. This is a time for us to remember that this Christ child, with all his hope, where a weary world rejoices, will come and he'll go to a cross. His body will be broken. His blood will be shed. And you will have life forever and ever. So let it sink in on you. Let it stir your worship even as you take the cup. Let it stir your peace even as you take the cup. Let it stir your purpose. Because if this is true, then the the 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years that we have on this life is like that. And we can live forever, enjoying him forever. So let's live for that kingdom and not this one. Let me pray for us and we'll come to these elements. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for Jesus who saw us in our helpless estate, dead in our sins and transgressions. And because of the great love with which you loved us, you sent your son and he took on flesh to be with us. Lord, I thank you for your promise that you are a God who is Emmanuel with us. Lord, I pray as we come to this table and and prepare our hearts in worship tonight and are with other image bearers, Lord, may the the thought that you are with us in that room and in our hearts and our lives just resonate uh, tonight, this week, 
forever. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.